All right, greetings to all of our campuses. We are glad that you are here. We're excited about what God is going to be doing as we all gather. And I really mean that. You know, we have a conviction here at Christ Community that God is present and is at work in our worship services, that lives are changed in our worship services. And I know firsthand how life-changing a worship service can be. 26 years ago, this very month, I was at a worship service, and during the greeting time, turned around and met this beautiful girl named Raylene, and I thought to myself, wow, this could be life-changing. And it was. Uh, Ten weeks later, we were engaged, so you never really know how life-changing worship service can be. But seriously, um, we have a conviction here that worship services matter. There is a reason we gather weekly, and, and, and that reason is to welcome and open our lives to the presence and the power of God. There is something uniquely powerful about God's people gathering together for worship if genuine worship is happening. And that's a big if. The sad reality is a lot of Christians sit through worship services, maybe for years, and yet are never really impacted. The reason? Because they never truly engage in genuine worship. As we've been talking about here for a few weeks in this current teaching series, worship is more than just singing some songs and listening to a message. It is to intentionally engage our heart in who God is, giving him love and adoration. And that that kind of worship is life-changing. It transforms us. So how can we grow in an authentic, in a, in authentic worship? Well, wouldn't it be awesome if, if there was a passage in the Bible that provided sort of a nuts and bolts training in worship, a, you know, a practical, hands-on guide to worship? And actually, there is. If you have your Bible, please turn to Psalm 95, your, your iPad or whatever. Turn to Psalm 95. This psalm is sort of a a worship 101 kind of psalm. It, It gives us a foundation for what genuine worship looks like. In this psalm, there are three sections, each of which describe an, an essential facet of experiencing genuine worship. You know, sometimes we, we try to define worship too narrowly, but this psalm gives us this beautiful, multifaceted description of worship. We're going to look at the first facet of worship in this week in verses 1 to 5, and then the second section next week, and then we'll finish up in, in, in two weeks. I'm confident that by the end of these, these three weeks, all of us here will be wading into a deeper experience of worship. I really believe that, and I'm, I'm stoked about it. So let's jump in. Let me read verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This is God's Word. Now, I love how this psalm begins. The Hebrew language is, is really cool. Uh, it's really cool language because it doesn't have an extensive vocabulary, which means that words can take on a more full meaning. And, and the first word of this psalm is a great example of that. It's the word come. Sounds like a simple invitation. Come, let us worship. But in actuality, this word speaks of movement. This word is used in Genesis 2. Same word to describe the flow 
flow of the Tigris River. So I love that imagery as it relates to worship. There is an invitation here, not to some boring ritual, some mindless activity. No, worship is an invitation to wade into the river of God's presence, to experience him and enjoy him and be transformed by him. This is not about guilt. You know, you need to worship more. You should worship. No, no, no. This is God inviting us into an experience of his life. Come, wade into my presence. Let my love and my holiness and my mercy wash over you and and move you. That's the invitation. And notice also, this invitation is addressed in the context of relationships. Come, let us sing. See, God is inviting us to gather together to worship In in an age where church attendance is often way down on our priority list, after all, we can just listen to the podcast, you know, in an age like that where, where, where we can easily reduce a church service to the imparting of information, in that context in which we live, I believe our hearts need to be awakened to this truth that as God's people, we are called by him to gather together and worship him. As I mentioned a few moments ago, there's something uniquely powerful and significant about God's people coming together to worship. In fact, look at how Peter describes the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Notice why we exist as a church, why we are to come together as God's very own possession. Peter says, to declare the praises of him who rescued us from darkness. Come, let us worship him. That is God's call, God's invitation to us as believers to give him, to give priority to this regular practice of corporate worship. And everyone knows that wading into a river or an ocean is way more fun when you're doing it with other people, right, (laughs) that you love. Okay, so in this initial invitation to wade into the river of worship, the psalmist jumps immediately into a description of a particular aspect of worship, a subcategory of worship. It's what is known as praise. You know, sometimes we use the words praise and worship interchangeably. I I do as well. But technically speaking, they are not the exact same thing. Praise is a particular aspect of worship. Praise involves expressing or giving adoration to God. So if we want to grow in our experience of worship, it is essential that we learn to practice praise. And these verses show us how. In in this passage, there are two, the the verses we read, these one through five, there are two overarching aspects of praise that are revealed to us. The why of praise and then the way of praise. So let's start with the why of praise. Why are we to praise God? The simple answer to that question is because we're commanded to praise God. We're commanded to do so. The Hebrew word for praise is the word halal. 
It's the word from which we get the phrase hallelujah. The first part, halal, means praise. The last part, yah, refers to Yahweh, God. So hallelujah means praise the Lord. And so this word or a form of this word is used dozens and dozens of times in the Psalms. We are repeatedly commanded to praise the Lord, to express adoration to him. Okay, so that's certainly one reason that we are to praise, because we're commanded to. But if that were the only reason, we would miss the true power of praise, because it is not just a command and ought to. Praise is also a want to. Praise is something that is wired into us as humans. Let me explain what I mean. Let's say you go to a movie with a friend, and the movie is fantastic. You are moved. You are enthralled. You are on the edge of your seat the whole time. So when the movie is over, your heart is filled with how awesome it was. So as you leave the theater with your friend, what is the first thing you want to do? Other than go to the bathroom and eliminate the $5 Coke that you drank or whatever. But other than that, what is the first thing you want to do? You want to talk about it. I mean, you can't wait to talk about how awesome it was. In fact, it is more than a want to. It's not just that you want to talk about it. You have to talk about it. You will explode if you aren't able to share with someone else how awesome it was, how awesome you thought that movie was. See, think, think about the internal dynamic of that. Why is it that we feel that way? Why do we feel this need to express how awesome we thought that was. It's because we were, bu- we were built to praise. We are built to praise. I mean, who among us can stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon or watch a sunset over the ocean or experience an unbelievable movie or concert or watch a dramatic come-from-behind victory in the ninth inning? Who among us can witness any of those things and not say anything? Even if it's to ourselves or to the person next to us, we don't even know. There is something within us that wants to, that needs to express praise. Oh, that was awesome. That was phenomenal. I mean, that was unbelievable. We have to say it. Why? Because we were built to praise when we see or experience something truly awesome. We have to express praise. We, we just do. We have to. So given that fact, we can all relate to, given that reality, let me ask, what would explain why in a worship service people aren't motivated to give God praise? What would explain our boredom or our apathy or our desire to leave the service early or our overall disengagement in a worship service. What would explain that? There really is only one explanation. And it has nothing to do with what's happening on stage or who happens to be leading worship or what songs we do. No, no, no. The only reason we would choose to not give God praise is because we're not seeing him as being that awesome. We don't see God as being that big of a deal. Because otherwise, we couldn't help but praise him. We couldn't help but express praise. When we, as I said before, when we see something awesome, we can't help but express it. 
So if it is a struggle to express praise to God, it's because we don't, we don't see him as being that awesome. Now the same connection can be clearly made in Psalm 95. In the first few verses, there's this invitation, come, let's praise, we praise God various ways, come, let's sing for joy and all that. We're gonna get to that in just a moment. But there's an important little word at the start of verse three. So it's come, let us worship, let us praise. Verse three, four, and then it gives the reason. See, the word for means because. So after urging us to praise in verses one and two, the psalmist now gives us the, the because of praise. See, he, he's, gonna, he's gonna give us, he's gonna describe things about God that would move us to praise him. Verse three, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. So there we, we praise God because he is so awesome. He is the great God. He is the king above all other gods. So he is supreme. He is mighty. He is Lord. In the next verse, we're given another reason to praise God. Verse 4, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. We praise God because of the hugeness of his being. I mean, it takes us a few hours to hike a 14er, right? I mean, well, God holds that entire mountain in his hands. The psalmist is just trying to give us language. He's just trying to find language to describe how huge and how glorious God is. Verse 5, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. I mean, anytime I have opportunity, the opportunity to stand at the edge of an ocean, I am overwhelmed by the immensity of it. And the psalmist reminds us that our God owns all of that. He made it. He made the dry land as well. He is creator. They're, these are all attributes of God that move us to praise him. Earlier in this passage, the psalmist describes God as the rock of our salvation. There's another attribute that moves us to praise him. He saves us. He rescues us as demonstrated in the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. I mean, the bottom line is our God is awesome. I mean, how else can you describe him, his vastness and his power and his glory and his heart and all of that, which again raises the question, if we aren't moved to praise this God, but we are moved to praise all sorts of other things. Why is that? Why is that? It has to be because we're not really seeing how awesome God is. Now, the good news is this is pretty easily fixable. If we're not moved to enter into praise, what we need is to focus our hearts on how awesome God is. We need to see how awesome he is, to take time in the midst of our busy lives to reflect upon and think about the majesty of the Lord as evidenced in creation, as evidenced in salvation. I mean, that's what we need. We need heart time to slow down long enough to reflect upon the awesomeness of God. Because as we get a glimpse of that, the things I just talked about, as we get a glimpse of that, we can't help but want to praise him. See, this is one reason that we devote several minutes after the message um, to worship God. 
in our, in our services. We, we could have a service that gets people in and out in an hour or whatever, but we have chosen to give space, to give time to helping us see who God is and to focus on him because we believe it is important that we do so. It's, 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 it's life-giving to us. It's important that we do so. Our lives are so crazy busy. They're so busy. When do we take time to just focus on who God is? We want our worship services to be one of those consistent opportunities in our lives to see regularly, to see the wonder of who God is and to respond in praise to him. Okay, so we've talked about the why of praise. It's not just a command. We want to, we need to when we see something awesome. I'd like to talk about the way of praise. What does authentic biblical praise look like? The, the first few verses of this psalm, Psalm 95, give us a very helpful description of praise. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Okay, so let's talk about some of the ways of praise that are described here. Um, in, in this passage, I want to highlight the three specific things that are mentioned. The first is singing. Singing. Verse 1, come let us sing. Verse 2, and extol him with music and song. I mean, singing is a biblical way to express praise to God. Numerous passages mention this. Psalm 96 verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Or how about Paul's words in Ephesians 5, 19, sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. And of course, the, the book of Revelation describes the angels and, and the people of God singing praise to God. Singing is a biblical way to express praise to God. We are encouraged to sing praise to him. Now, this raises a question that I think is important to wrestle with. Because I know a number of Christians who will privately admit, I just don't enjoy singing. I don't really connect to God in that way. And so for them, this kind of worship is a struggle. In fact, I read a, a blog post um, recently uh, from a fairly well-known Christian author who admitted this very thing. And then he concluded that because of that, because he doesn't really connect with singing and all that, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't really go to church. Um, I mean, is that, is that really the only response we have if we don't like singing, <laughs> you know, to just not go to church? Um, absolutely not. And in fact, I think that just feeds the consumeristic mindset of our culture, that blog post and that mindset. It just, it just feeds the consumeristic mindset of our culture. If it doesn't meet my needs, I'll do something else. So what is a person to do who doesn't really like singing? What are they supposed to do in a worship service? Uh, are they supposed to resign themselves to being bored and disengaged? I don't think so. Let me offer just some thoughts on how you can engage in praise, even if you're someone who, if you're someone who doesn't connect with singing, how you can engage in praise. The most important issue is the heart. It's the heart. Is your heart open to adoring God? Are you willing to allow the words of the songs to minister to your heart, whether you're singing or not? That's so important. See, I, I think what happens a lot of times is that we don't engage our hearts in the words. 
And so then we just disconnect, right? And then when the team repeats a, a chorus a few times, we get more frustrated and we increasingly disconnect. See, no wonder 20 minutes of that seems like an eternity. It's because our hearts are not engaged. Our hearts are not engaged. 20 minutes of anything is boring when our hearts are not engaged. So my encouragement to those of you who struggle with the singing part of our service is to make sure your heart is engaged, even if you're not singing initially. The question is, are you reflecting on the words? Are you reflecting on the words? Are you listening to the worship team singing the words and and letting those truths wash over you and settle into your soul? We talked last week about how words of a song are like a greeting card where, you know, we can buy a greeting card that's blank where you have to write everything, or you can write a greeting card where it expresses what you want to say. That's what these songs are. They help us express praise. They give us words, biblical words to use to express praise. And so are we able to, even if we're not singing, can we focus our hearts on those words? It it may help to close your eyes just so that your heart can focus. Even Even if you don't sing a word, your heart can engage in worship. Now, having said that, here's my hunch. The more your heart engages in worship in this way, the more you're gonna want to sing. The more your heart engages, even if it's in silence, but the more your heart engages in worship, the more you're going to want to sing. I mean, think about this. What do most of us instinctively do when our favorite song comes on the radio while we're driving in our car? We sing, right? We sing along. I mean, what do most of us do during the seventh inning stretch at the Rockies game? Hey, baby, you know, I want to know. We could all sing it right now. Will you be my girl, right? We all sing. We sing when our heart is engaged in that moment. And remember, too, there is, there is nothing mentioned in the Bible about singing on key. I mean, in, 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 in nothing. In fact, we are told to make a joyful noise. I mean, that's a pretty low bar, really. You just got to make noise. So, uh, <laughs> Now, now I realize there's another factor at work as well, and that is that we may feel self-conscious about our voice. We're not used to singing, um, and maybe we're concerned about what people around us will think or whatever. You know, I understand that, but, but remember that a lot of what you think people hear, in reality, they don't, because they're hearing the worship band through the sound system. See, to to over time not sing at all is to miss an opportunity to express praise to God in a biblical way. Now, sometimes we forget, this is very important, sometimes we forget that praise has to be expressed in order for it to be praise. For instance, if you think your child or a friend or something, you know, they sang at a concert, something really, really cool, and your heart is just filled with it, they did an awesome job. I mean, they did such an awesome job. But if you never tell them, then, then you aren't praising them. If you never tell them, you, no matter how your heart is filled with how awesome they are and how awesome a job they did, if you never tell them, you never praised them. It's not praise just to feel it in here. Praise has to be expressed in order for it to be praise. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. 
Praise has to be expressed. That's what makes it praise. It's something that we declare, usually with our voice. If we keep it inside, it's not praise. So if you're, if you're someone who struggles to sing, it's okay. It really is. It's okay to admit that. That's what I want to talk about here. It's okay to, to, to admit that and to, and to think about that. But if you're someone who struggles to sing, I just want to encourage you to begin opening your heart, to focus on opening your heart to the words of the song, and then just see what happens. Just begin here and let the rest kind of take care of yourself, of itself, okay? Begin here. Focus your heart on the words of the song rather than disengaging, and then see what happens. Okay, a second way of praise that's mentioned in this passage is exuberant joy. Exuberant joy. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Now, the language used here speaks of exuberance. I mean, joy-filled, energetic praise. Now, here's the tricky part. This is not something that can be mandated or coerced. I mean, a worship leader can get people to do certain things by telling them to. I I led worship for like 15 years here, so I know about this. We can get people to do things by telling them to. But if it's not reflective of the heart, what what have we really accomplished? If we just got someone to clap and they don't really want to, but we got them to do it, you know, what's the point? See, this verse is inviting us into an experience of praise that is joy-filled and exuberant and energetic, not because we are coerced into doing so, but because we want to. See, Pastor John Piper um, wrote this about the connection between joy and praise. Listen to this. He says, our joy shows the supremacy of God's value. If his greatness is the basis of our joy, then our joy is the evidence of his greatness. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I mean, do you hear what he's saying? To, to, to truly comprehend and see God's greatness results in joy. It results in a joyful response. Our God really is the king of the universe. (laughs) Our God really does hold the oceans and, and the mountains in his hand. He really is the rock of our salvation. So when our hearts truly understand those realities, a natural response is some sort of exuberance, joy-filled praise or clapping or, or shouting or raising hands or, or even dancing. Now, and I know there, there, there are all sorts of factors that hinder this. I mean, maybe it feels weird to do this in church. You know, maybe, maybe we say, oh, this just, that just isn't my personality, although at sporting events it seems to be. But, but, uh, um, but we, may, we may struggle with this. And again, the question is, Why? Why is it so hard for us to sincerely express joyful praise to God? If someone were to to videotape any of us in worship, would it look like we actually find enjoyment in the God we're praising? Would it look like we actually find enjoyment in him? And if not, why not? Why do we find joy in expressing praise for other things, but not in God? When our hearts are full of what God has done for us, we can't help but be filled with joy in that. 
Someone recently emailed me a, a link to a video clip um, called Dance Your Shoes Off. It's a video of a small group from a Baptist church in Houston, Texas. Okay, actually 2,000 people. Um, but they're doing this outdoor worship celebration. But they are, they are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus in this live kind of worship slash dance experience. These are Baptists. I mean, they're Baptists. I have never even heard of a Baptist dancing in church or anywhere, really, for that matter, right? So as I'm watching, initially, you know, I thought, this seems a bit cheesy, you know. Um, But then as I continued to watch, I found myself so moved by it. Not because of the choreography or the, the music they're dancing to. I was so moved by the authenticity and the diversity. I mean, you have these old guys out there with pagers, you know, and, and you have these young kids and, and some out of shape adults and lots of 20 somethings and moms and dads and plenty of grandmas and grandpas, basically people who aren't dancers, right? And yet they are throwing it down here, you know? They are all in. They are sincerely expressing praise with exuberance and and with joy. And it was so cool to watch that. And again, it made me wonder, does our praise reflect an exuberant joy in the Lord? If Baptists can do it, I mean, seriously. But does our praise reflect an exuberant joy in the Lord? And again, I'm not talking about being coerced into some response. I'm not talking about that. Someone up here, you know, telling us to do, and we don't do the worship that way. We, try, we don't want to be directive up here. I'm not talking about being coerced into some response. I'm talking about being so enamored with and so in love with Jesus that we can't help but express joy-filled praise to him for who he is and for what he's done. For us. We can't help it. Now, I'm, I'm thankful that we have a church here, that our church, there's an openness to expressions of exuberance in our worship services together. There's already an openness to clapping and openness to shouting hallelujah. There's openness to raising hands and openness to even dancing, you know, people jumping up and down or moving around a little bit. I think we already have an openness to these things, and I'm so thankful for that. But I wonder if for some of us, Growing in praise may mean letting our joy out a little bit. (laughs) Maybe we've never clapped before on a worship song, and that would be an easy way to stretch ourselves a little bit. You know, it's not like we don't clap in other places, so why not here? Or maybe it's raising hands. We've never even done that, thought about that, but maybe it's just putting our hands up here, just out before us. Raising our hands, it's a posture of praise, it's a posture of surrender. It can be so many things. And so it's just this, this, this expression of praise. It can be a simple expression of praise. Or maybe it's a willingness to just let out a shout at the end of a, a worship song. Now, obviously, there needs to be sensitivity to the dynamics of the room. If we start shouting during a quiet song, that, that, in a song, that might be kind of distracting. But, but I would love to see us as a body continue to grow in the freedom to express exuberant joy in our praise to God. Okay, a third way of praise mentioned in this passage is thanksgiving. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. 
expressing gratitude is such a powerful aspect of praise. In one other, in one of the psalm, it says, "Enter his courts with thanksgiving." It's like it's like thanksgiving opens a door. Sometimes it's a great way to open a door to praise or to warm up our hearts to praise. Because let's admit it, sometimes we just don't feel like praising God. You know. We've had a lousy week and, and all horrible things are going on. We just don't feel like praising God sometimes. One of the best ways to open the door of our hearts to praise is to begin thanking God for who he is and for all of his blessings in your life, just to begin thanking him. In, in the book, 1,000 Gifts, the author, Anne Voskamp, talks about her journey of gratitude. And in the midst of being a stay-at-home mom with young children and lots to be frustrated about, a friend of hers challenged her to begin making a list, just start a list of all the gifts God gave her every day, even simple things. So she began doing that. She started doing it and it changed her life. Here's what she writes. She said, I, I took the dare, accepted the challenge, kept track of 1,000 things, 1,000 gifts. So eventually it totaled up to 1,000. 1,000 graces on a quiet, unassuming blog, before I knew it, thankfulness to God began to fully change me. What I actually found startling was more daily wonder and surprising beauty than I had ever expected. And in a, ver in a few short years, this daily hunt for God's grace, his glory had ushered me into a fuller life, a life of joy in giving thanks for each moment and savoring it as, a, as bread from his hand, I'd find sustenance and the grace of God himself in it. See, notice it was this deliberate choice to express thanks that opened a door to, to a deeper experience of God. Such is the power of praise, whether through joyful singing, whether through a hearty shout, or the intentional choice to thank God for his blessings. Praise is the foundation. It is the key to genuine worship. So I want to ask our campus pastors to come up at their respective campuses right now and, and uh, come on up as we prepare to pray and then praise. All right, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word and this invitation and for the challenge of it and also really the winsomeness of it. This is a want to, it's something that is a blessing to us and to you and it's a good thing. But Lord, we need, we acknowledge, we probably need our hearts just reawakened to this. And Lord, I think we're all sitting in this question, maybe, or many of us here, why do we sometimes seem so apathetic about praising you, about gathering together? Why is it so easy just to skip church? Why is it that we praise all sorts of other things, a good book or a great movie or baseball game, why is that so easy for us to do, and yet it seems so hard for us to wholeheartedly express praise to you? God, we, we need to see you in all of your glory, because you, everything else pales in comparison when we begin to get a glimpse of who you are 
and what you have done in our lives, how awesome and great you are. And so I am asking, we are asking, Holy Spirit, you would awaken our hearts to see the glory of our God. To see, open our eyes, open our hearts to praise, Lord. Set us free to do that no matter what kind of week we've had, no matter how we're feeling tonight and how discouraged or depressed we are or, or whatever, Lord. We want to be a people who choose to do what we've called, we have been called to do as a church. We have been called to declare your praise. And see what we want to say yes to that invitation. Yes to you. And not even for our benefit, what we might get out of it. We just want to do it because you are worthy of it. And our our hearts can't help but express praise to you. For the awesome God you are. So again, Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts to see this great God of ours. And set us free to praise him. To praise you. God, set us free to do that through singing, through exuberance, through thanksgiving. Set us free. So why don't we stand as we're in a worship. Again, if you want to sit down at any point, that's fine. You want to kneel up front here, that's fine. But we want to, we want to just worship now. This is, the, this is the point of the service. It's not the, the message. It's, it's this, these moments to declare God's praise together.